Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new episode. I've got a special guest right here, Mr. Sean Astin. You guys are obviously pretty familiar with his work in Lord of the Rings, Goonies, Rudy, and most recently The Strain, which is like my favorite show that I'm watching right now uh, is The Strain. I'm all caught up on it. And uh, Sean, your character wasn't in the comics, which is how I know The Strain. Like mm -hmm. I, I read the Dark Horse comics. Uh, it's Guillermo del Toro, Paul Hogan. Is it Paul Hogan? Yeah. No, Paul Ho is it Paul Hogan? Yeah. I always think getting... Chuck. Yeah, Chuck Hogan. Paul Hogan was Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. <laughs> like there's other, and there's, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and those guys wrote these two, those two guys wrote these novels, yeah. The Vampires in New York. Chuck, not Paul. Yeah, Chuck and Guillermo, they wrote these horror novels. I didn't read the novels. I've been reading the Dark Horse The book comics. is incredible. The first book, I, I didn't read the other two, but the, yeah, the first book is really, really good. I actually listened to it. Uh -huh. Ron Perlman reads it. Are you kidding? And it is so good. That's uh, reason to, to Yeah, and to I was it. riding my bike a lot. I was dealing with a, a, a knee injury What'd from running. It was just a, it was IT band, you know, yeah. kind of repetitive stress kind of thing, running marathons. I did three marathons last year. So, but anyhow, so I was cross-training with the cycling and got this job and would ride my, put the kids to bed at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And then at 10.30, I'd get on my bike and ride through the San Fernando Valley in the dark, mm -hmm. you know, with my little light on my bike going 30 miles an hour and uh, listening to... Ron like Perlman read about this vampire, like scary vampire thing. Were you, free, were you involved in the strain at that point? Yes, at that point I knew that I was going to do it. Yeah, and right. my character is in the books, if not yeah, the comic in the books. books. He's yeah, not in the comic. but not very much. He he dies kind of fast and unceremoniously, so they, they sort of expanded the part uh, for the show. So that's like a, a spoiler, non-spoiler, whatever you guys want to do. If you guys are reading the strain, uh, you guys know about it. If you guys are watching the strain and you're not cut up. Yeah, we're going to spoil some stuff involving uh, Sean's character, but... Um, I die. I'm shot dead. I'm killed. And you know I'm what? Toast. Like, like, how do you feel about that? Because a lot of the reason that the vampires are in New York is because you have a tough decision to make, and you kind of help. Uh, when the vampires come in, they're on a plane, and there's a pit of cargo that needs to get off of the... Uh, the master. Uh, yeah, the, so the, the master's uh, like in a giant, like, what's it? A coffin, coffin, like a yeah. coffin. And you, you get the, in once the CDC is closed down the airport, you're the guy who gets the damn coffin out of there by, you know, falsifying or records or whatever. You, you, you trick the gate guard into letting that one through. And now it's all your fault. Do you feel as though the vampire invasion of New York is your fault? I honestly think <laughs> they would have figured out another way if I wasn't there. I think I was one of the um, unwitting emissaries of this underworld group that was facilitating the the, the introduction of these vampires. Is that like, you, did you just let your character off the hook for that? You asked me what I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, but like, but like, I mean, as an actor, I'm not an actor. As an actor, it, it's part of the work, really not judging your character and just kind of finding out um, a way to, to be the character. No, I mean, I think, I think objectively speaking, he did the wrong thing because in his mind, he had a justifiable reason for breaking the law. He had no idea what the stakes were. And, you know, it was definitely, he definitely let the coffin go at a moment where it looks like the coffin would have been stopped. So, but if he didn't do it, would there have been somebody, I mean, he bears the responsibility for it. Right. He's definitely, he's responsible in the sense, like, he has to accept the responsibility, but I don't, but I'm pretty sure with all of the sophisticated mechanisms they had in place to take the world by storm that they would have had some sort of contingency planning. I'm, what I'm saying is I think my character was kind of emotionally interesting but not 100% pivotal to the story. Right. 
Okay, hey man, whatever lets you uh, sleep at night. I'm just saying. <laughs> and just and saying. what about the character send-off that you guys got last last uh, week? Oh, uh, could have asked it, for a better send-off. Is it a send-off? Because it's an off-camera. Off-camera kills are like, you know, Marvel Comics deaths. Guillermo kept saying I could have, like, my brother, my evil brother could come back. And oh, like Che and Fat and better, exactly, like, better, exactly. <laughs> like better Tomorrow exactly. too. Uh, but no, I think I'm properly dead. Um, Fett right. shot me through and through in the brain. Spine. You know what? He's great. Who's the actor who plays Kevin Durant? He's incredible. Kevin Durant was like in Lost. He was in like Legion and a bunch of stuff. But I think in The Strain, I I, I watch it with my wife, and I turned to her and I said, "I mean, we're familiar with Kevin Durant. Maybe not his name because you just reminded me of it. But uh, but he's been so many things that we love. Uh, I think his role in The Strain is easily his strongest work because you just forget all that other stuff. I think it's a breakout part. That's it. It's a breakout breakout part. part. It's it's my favorite character in the book mm-hmm. and he comes in and is so interesting and so credible um, which is not easy because he's got a heavy you know like russian accent i don't know what the what the sound or what is that accent, i don't know like what ukrainian it is or russian or like what it slavic is. i don't know but all i know that is can't be easy. that you want to keep watching it you mm-hmm. just want to see his next thought you want to see what his next behavior is he's he's badass mm-hmm. i think you know i think he will um yeah, he, I think he's the most exciting thing about it. What's cool is that, that if you guys aren't watching it, please catch up. Uh, there's a ton left, so, you know, the minor spoiler of, uh, you know, Sean's... I get killed. Maybe exit Jim is... Jim uh, Kent is dies. Is, um, Sorry, it, it should, spoiler. Should, I'm the one who had to die. I don't care if I wreck it for them. It shouldn't keep you They're guys They're dumb enough to listen it. to... Geekscape hey, wow, than wow. they well, Listen to this guy. No respect to this guy. No respect. No respect. No. This is a guy who has a bunch of nerds calling his political show who don't know what the heck he's talking about. That 14, you're talking about that one 14-year-old girl. <laughs> they call up and say, hey, man, tell us about being on set with Rudy. And I love like, Raphael. I don't want to, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey. I love, I'm like, what about Putin? I don't know. What, what is a side? Is it frustrating doing a political show and like having those people call no, up? No, no. Are I you mean, just glad you have listeners? I'm just throwing back. I don't even know that I have listeners. <laughs> I have a listener. This is the Vox Popular show that you do. My on daughter called in. That Radio was V. Yeah. But like, we, I was just feeling guilty we, that I spoiled, but, but, did a spoiler. But we were on, on Toad Hop together. Yeah. And like, that was great when we did that. It was fun, and like, I love Johnny, and I like uh, all the all the Toad Hop stuff. But like, how do you feel about moving on to T Radio V? Because like after. Toad Hop, I was like, okay, well, what do I do with Geekscape? I want to do something that I'm pop- like really passionate about. I've been doing Geekscape eight years. And I'm like, I want to do something that I'm passionate about. You are about. Geekscape. Well, there's a lot of people that are done doing it. But, but as far as the, the podcast goes, mm-hmm. I, um, I'm thinking about like what to do next. How are the people here at T-Radio V? They're great. Michael's great. They've got, I mean, uh, the thing here, they're, they're more fully developed a, a station than, mm-hmm. uh, than Toad, Hub was. Toad Hub was. Yeah. I mean, Johnny was a great engineer. You know, Frank, I think he believed in it. But the technology, there's more, you know, infrastructure here. Uh, they certainly have more of a staff here. So the in terms of supporting the show, um, you know, it's it's a similar model. You know, having lots of people, lots of, you know, it's a similar model. But no, I like it. To me, it's all about they they deliver. I show up, I do my thing. They take care of all the stuff that needs to be taken care of, and. Um, you know, the audience, I wonder if the audience, if the audience, I think they follow us. Right. I don't think the audience cares about what the uh, station show is. show is afterwards, yeah. the show before or, that. Or what the, you know, I mean, there may be people who are loyal to T-Radio V because they've developed a relationship with, the, you know, a bunch of the different shows. But for guys like you and me, I think we bring people to it 
and and then if we leave, they come with us. So it's it's a, a symbiotic relationship, but I don't think you make decisions based on, uh, y you have to just still be passionate about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And you this place or another place, there's a good energy here. Mm -hmm. You know, there's definitely young, kind of a crazy energy a little bit. I mean, I'm like the serious show right. on the network, but, um, but Andy Dick came in and was on the show for a, a half hour and he was wonderful. He was really thoughtful and, and he's such a, uh, he's got this, you know, amazingly goofy His energy persona. is, um, I was on the phone with him for a bit about a part I was going to have him play for me. And I'm just looking at my producer, like listening to Andy go like a mile a minute yeah. verbally. Yeah. And like the little rationales that come out of his head about like how much to get paid or like what the role is, where we're going to, you know, just the logistics of like whether or not you do the part. And it's just a mile a minute. And it's yeah. coming from like any direction. Usually you have that little conversation with your producer before you pick up the phone and you call the actor to be like, all right, let's talk about like what it's gonna be like. There's no preparation for Andy Dick. Because like the things he wants are the things that like he wants to be, you know, it, mm. it, 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 there's, there's like only Andy logic to it. And that's not a negative thing because that's why you're talking to Andy. You want that. If you're talking to him, that's what you want. Well, but you always have to know when you get into a creative space if somebody wants to have as much uh, you know, influence on every aspect mm -hmm. of it as, you know, other people. I remember talking to Willem Dafoe once and it was in the year, it was the year that um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out. And so we're waiting, we're both waiting in line to talk to Ang Lee. Mm -hmm. And he, I asked him if he was directing anything. And he well, said, oh, no, Willem Dafoe. Yeah. And Willem said that he didn't want to direct anything. And I looked at him like, dude, come on. Everybody wants Every to Every actor wants to direct right. something. And he goes, no, I really don't. I said, well, how could you not want to? He said, for me, the thoughts complete themselves. And I said, that's what, the most amazing thing I don't understand I've yeah, ever heard. Yeah, what does heard. it mean? Well, I think he just meant like he's happy to, if a, if a director says, you know, let's do this with this idea or this thought, and you go in, you say, well, mm -hmm. how would I feel there? And you walk out of the scene, and like, that's enough. He doesn't need to, like, see where it fits in the overall arc of the... It's like writers who don't sell, you know, writers who do or don't sell things, they're like, oh, just write in the screenplay is good enough. Yeah. But I don't think you and I are wired like that. I think no. you and I are like, there's, there has to be a finality to it. Mm. There has to be... A, but a, a with so, someone like, like social, Andy like Dick, to finish that thing. thought, yeah. is it's like, he, if he gets into something, he's not just gonna, I don't think he expects to show up, do his thing, and leave, and have delivered what was expected of him. I right. think he's gonna show up and he wants to surround it and be inside of it and... Is that insecurity? Uh, what do you think? Well, no. Well, I, I understand why you say that. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I guess it just depends. Uh, he, like I he, guess like if you're he, insecure... He didn't, that, he didn't know me, so he's like throwing crazy questions at me. He didn't know me. Right. And I, totally, I can totally understand his insecurity, you know? Um, and as much as you're trying to reassure him, I didn't know the angles with which to reassure Andy. Well, to me, there are reasons that you go after something that aren't necessarily what they'd seem. Mm. You're testing, you know, you talk about this thing or that thing, or whatever, and you're testing to see what the reaction is. Depending on the, how easily someone accepts what it is that you want, you can feel that, all right, I might be able to influence, you know, the, the process. I'm just saying, it's a, the word yeah. control, I, I don't like saying control because I don't think it has it's a control. negative. I, I think it's him um, being a part of it. It could be collaboration. Yeah. Collaboration's not necessarily control. It's, I want to make sure that I'm not wasting my day. I want to make sure that when I show up, it, it, it should be partially about me and my contribution and that our voices are all combined. Artists a lot of time feel like our idea is right. Uh-huh. So, uh, but that's not necessarily counter. 
You know what I mean? Like being a part of a chorus, you guys are all kind of a. That's what it can. Note. That's what it can be. Yes. But some, I mean, other times. I don't know. I don't know him enough to know. Right. I know that his reputation is crazy. I know right now he's yeah. on an e very even keel. Totally. And when I interacted with him, he was his thoughts about what we were talking about that, that had to do with Robin Williams and suicide and stuff like that were just so uh, thoughtful and sentient. But I can, as I've seen him behave in other interviews, I could see him wanting to just dominate whatever environment he's in. Mm -hmm. So, and if you, if you, you, you know, in a professional context, you might not be welcome to do that unless you've set that game up ahead of time. Right. Um, why do a political talk show? Uh, it's a passion of mine since mm -hmm. I was a little kid. Where did it come from? Well, my parents. My mom was uh, president of the Screen Actors Guild, not unlike Ronald Reagan before her. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, who was president of the Screen Actors Guild before he was governor. Um, but after the monkey movie. After, well after. Well after the I was the like, my mom wasn't yeah. in a monkey no, movie. No, no, oh, no. After yeah, Ronald Reagan did the championship. No, uh, and then she and my dad were um, very passionate uh, union members and also... Because they were successful actors, people listen to them. Are there expectations placed on them? Like, like, like yourself. Like, like, I want to bring up the fact that like, there's always that rumor that you're going to be running for SAG president. And that you know, you've heard that rumor. That would be SAG president. That, that you're going to run for one of these offices, like SAG president or this and that. Like, you've heard that rumor, run. haven't you? Not that particular rumor. But that you're going to run for one of these offices. That, that Congress one, is for, the one, one I always try and stoke, but I don't know. Well, we can stoke it here on Geekscape. I mean, <laughs> a lot of our people are Canadian, but you know what, guys? Hop over the I've fence. spent a lot of time in Canada. I okay. could be a provincial leader of some Let's kind. Let's do that. Oh, that's Japan. Let's do that. Um, I was in Ottawa this year. Uh -huh. I was in Calgary. I was in Yeah, they shot Toronto. the strain up there in Toronto. In, yeah. in Toronto, yeah. yeah. But uh, but I've been I've gone to a bunch of different comic book conventions. But like, what would be your... Like, you went to Fan Expo and stuff like that? Like, yeah. what would be your angle? Like, like, would you be interested in any of the entertainment, pol like, political positions? Or is it, is um, it, like, is that not enough global change for you or national change for you? You know what? I, I, I could be a teacher. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't matter. I, I like the idea of, um, sit of, of a congressional job mm -hmm. as a, I just like that role. Um, like the way that you, the way you have to think and, and what you have to do. Uh, you know, it just depends. I, I want to be useful. Mm -hmm. I want to be useful. If I could be useful as a, uh, it seems lately like the Screen Actors Guild is, is doing okay uh, without a, reason, a reasonable yeah. job. Um, it is a lot better than it was doing. But I think the industry has kind of stalled for actors. Mm -hmm. So now you just need a really competent organization that can collect and, you know, run a pension, health, and welfare Thing. Well, how much is digital the cause of that? How much is the digital the cause of like actors being asked to act for less or maybe give up a lot of reality residuals? television and mm -hmm. the proliferation of stations mm -hmm. and and the advent of the digital revolution? I think all and and there's so many people. So are you betraying them by doing an online radio show? Um, <laughs> I set you up for that. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a BS question, but like like I mean, how do we make a, a happy marriage. I wish the union protected me as right. a digital journalist. Right. Like, like, <laughs> like, is there a happy marriage in this? In, like, what's the happy marriage in this in this frontier that we're that we're entering? Well, uh, the where the concessions of yesterday are are still present in, in the. Technology? There are, uh, you know, I think 
I think SAG is doing its best to calibrate itself for the digital realm, but it's, it's, it has to work for professional actors in motion picture, you know, mm -hmm. film and television. It has to be, a, a, you know, cable television. It, 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 that's got to be its bread and butter. And then as the digital age develops, you know, I wonder, I wonder what the what the future is. If if they're, um, I think it has to be economically driven. A lot of times, the places that are, um, you know, you can have a million different stations. But if none of them are making money, there's not right. much for SAG to police. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you start getting people who are making lots of money, I think SAG then all of a sudden kind of comes online and want to interact with, wants to interact with the Netflix and the Amazons. And, and oh yeah, obviously oh, yeah. That, that's those guys are all covered. Right. I, I, you know, but if if you start doing if T Radio V became a television network mm -hmm. and started you know figuring out how to sell advertising based on this is like the Wild West right now. Right. I think at a certain point it comes on to SAG's radar. And then, you know, if SAG actors, you know, it'll be interesting for, for actors to decide where to, where to put, place their allegiance. Because mm -hmm. they could place their allegiance with the Screen Actors Guild, but if, that's place, but if they're not getting work in, you know, SAG, they're not getting SAG work and they're now placed out of doing other online content that they could be doing, it may not be in their interest to do that. So, you know, I like the idea for SAG to be as broadly inclusive as possible. Um, but it's a, uh, but SAG also does other things too. I mean, some of the education stuff and the opportunities that they facilitate. So, I don't know. If you were to become a teacher, what would you teach? English, probably. English, English history, political science. Political like science, that. right? Yeah. Like set these kids up to know how to vote and why? Yeah. Oh, what's the cause of erosion, you know, in voting today? Like, what, um, what, 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 I mean, what's messed up about our, our voting system? Because I like, guess you look at, you know, things like... Well, the biggest problem is uh, the way money is collected and spent. Mm -hmm. The campaign finance rules um, make it so that the individual voter has to really work hard and get lucky to have their vote mean anywhere near as much as the votes of corporate sponsored, you know, right. large corporations. If you, but if their, you vote, work their votes are 365 years. Like their votes are, are like 365 days around the year, I feel like. I feel like these corporations with their lobbyists, like they get to vote every day. Their influence isn't just at the ballot box. Their, their influence is barely at the ballot box. Their influence is 365. How does somebody off the street have an influence, those 365, when they're only emailing, phone calling, or sending letters to somebody who's getting taken out of the town or the lobbyists are, are, are having that kind of influence? Yeah, I think, I think that the average voter now is getting smarter. I think the average voter is getting better informed. But I don't think it's reached a point yet where it's any match for if a pharmaceutical company or a, a insurance company or banks or defense industries get behind individual candidates and that candidate can raise, you know, two and a half million dollars, whereas somebody who isn't supported by those people can only raise 150,000. So now how many flyers arrive? How good is the website? How many television commercials? How much uh, support staff can be deployed? You know, it's like the people, they, 
voting patterns are not a mystery. It is law that the public and that campaign folks have access to voting records. Mm -hmm. So you can say like, okay, there was a special election in this district or in whatever, sure. Brad Sherman's district. You can go down to the block and find out out of the last five elections, how many of them did that household vote in? Mm -hmm. And of those elections, how many of them did they, times did they vote Democrat? How many times did they vote Republican? So you end up targeting the precise area. You know, you'll sit down and you'll say, 118,000 votes is gonna win this election. Sure. That's what, the, that, you know, if you look for the last 10 cycles, this is the number of people voting, this is what the average thing is, barring some major upheaval in the system. And that's the thing, there, there's, there's very rarely, a, you know, Obama in 2008 was massive. Right. That had more young people voting and broader numbers. That was, the, the total vote went through the roof. Since Clinton picked up a saxophone. Huh. And wouldn't you think? I mean, remember how big I think Rock, his, Rock the I think he was? skewed up. Right. And then I think it went back down again. Of course. So, but I think when Obama, it was a, it was a bottle rocket. But what I'm saying is most of the time, the trend lines are very consistent. Mm -hmm. And so if you sit down in a room and you go, okay, we need 118,000 votes, where are we going to get them? And you know, you know right where to go. You know the places to go. You know the demographics to hit. You know the whatever. And so then it becomes like who can reach those people effectively? And I, I manage a congressional campaign. If you don't have a lot of money and you don't have time and you don't have like people, yeah, it seems it's like hard can, just yeah. to like physically, t the people that voted for my guy are people who shook their hands and looked him in the eye and said, will you please vote for me? Right. No, no, and you know, we had commercials that did real well. We had a trending commercial. But that's a lot of time and that's a lot of like resources for that it's kind of pinpoint. A, I mean, that, you're talking about pinpoint campaigning. Like just folk laser targeting Households, later messaging. Like, you have pollsters. You have the things that you. Did you guys have Leah Savoli on that campaign? No, we would have won if we had. Leah. Yeah, Leah's in the. We you guys one. remember Leah from about a year ago on the on the show, and uh, she's here in the studio laughing. But I, I think that the the biggest impediments to real inclusion are the way that campaigns are funded, and uh, the way that the districts. I think of congressional elections mm -hmm. primarily when I'm thinking about this stuff. Because I mean, you're going to run for that. You're setting up your go. Uh, that's what I've teased. You can all announce along. it on the show. I can? All 38 people will vote for you. <laughs> what if they're not in my district? Will they well, move to my district they and might then move, vote? You know, I mean, depending or on maybe the, they on could their call Canadian somebody visas. they know. That's what you should do. <laughs> call, find somebody through some way, Facebook it, and then get the. No, but the 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 way the districts are drawn mm -hmm. are very corrupt. Do you think you'll lose votes because you let the coffin through? I think the votes that I lose among the conscientious people, I'll make up for with the rebels. <laughs> the people were like, wait, that's the guy who let the coffin off of the airport, and uh, he let the damn vampires into New York City. That's the guy right there. He took a bullet in the head. But, but those same people would appreciate that I, that I died to save Jack Bauer's life in 24. Oh, there you go. So I think I'm trying to, you know, on balance, what arrive at a, you know, plus side in terms of oh, you're voter support. No, I think it's off mic, but just the fact that what? you know he saved the Goonies and their house. He saved the Goonies. Look, I mean, he saved the Goonies. He inspired he Frodo to, all the way to Mordor. And that shit wasn't easy because you guys were barefoot. I mean, you're a runner. That's ridiculous. So we're runners together. We are runners together. How'd you do on Sunday? Man, you know. It was the Disney half marathon weekend yeah. at Disneyland. Can we set and, this up? Like, yeah. Okay, so I shot, I direct. I filmed all last week, and I filmed out in the desert. I was tired as hell. Well, here you go. Yeah, Saturday morning, I wake up, and my friend texts me, like, hey, can you take my bib for the Saturday, for the Disney half? 
I didn't want to do it because it's the same course as last year. I ran last year, and last year was like 96 degrees. Last year yeah. was super hot. It was still hot this year, I thought. Um, it was not as hot, but so it was still hot. I went out and ran it. Uh, like you know, 87. Starts at, yeah, it starts at like 5.30 in the morning. Um, I'm running the Avengers half in November. Are you? Are you going to be there? Nope. Okay. I'm um, running the Marine Corps Marathon October 26th. Let's do it. In Virginia. Let's do it. Let's do it. My I bid to become a congressional. Uh, no. I, I too would have run three marathons last year, except the third was LA, and we, uh -huh. and we got a film in the South by. So well, I was in Austin premiering our film. So good thing about uh, LA is it'll be here. It'll be here next year. Yeah. Actually, I've done I, it three times. I love it. Four I think, times. I think we should run it together. Okay. Um, no, I mean I, I, Sean, I beat you five by five minutes. I'm sorry. You beat me by five. I'm minutes. sorry. I'm sorry. You're taller than I'm, me. Well, the bummer about I'm, that I'm, is I'm that I'm younger. You're younger, taller, I think a little younger, better looking. No, 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 not better looking. I, I, I had a tough time on on Sunday because I was fucking physically done, but. Um, I ran a really strong 10K on Saturday, so I was a little bit dead-legged at the end of the half. That's six miles, man. You can do six miles in your sleep, Sean. No, but I ran. I didn't want to run it hard, and I ran it hard because What'd I'm an idiot. What would you come in at? What's your 56 for me. A little slower than you. I know I, I, well, well, Sean, listen. I, what, this is what I want to do. I want to implement a training program between you and I where right. I train you, and I make you a perfect physical specimen. Really? No, uh, but I mean, if we want to run together, we can run together. I mean, together. it sounds like I need a cup for <laughs> no, no. that. <laughs> well, no, no. You remember the Rocky montage? Let's do that scene where, like, Apollo Creed and Rocky are, like, dancing in the beach. Remember that? They're, like, dancing in the Of course, they're hugging in those, like, hugging and shit. tiny like, red tiny shorts. Sh those, like... I say we do it. Did, did, Leah, did, did, this is getting a little did you show, did, Leah, did you show Sean the photos of Super Action Man running the 5K, like, two weeks ago? So, congratulations. You ran it in, in 157? Yeah. Just, yeah. Wow. But... That's not my. I, I mean, wanted that, 157 as my goal, and I came up. Like, but that's not my. P right. I mean, my PR is a 150. The, uh. the unofficial PR is 145. But I did that in a marathon, and I was like, and the, the only where that the only place that exists is my Garmin. So when did you start? Well, like when did you when running? I, you're I like 28 or something. I didn't train. I'm 35. 35. Yeah, I didn't train for this one. Um, I mean, I just stay in running shape. Uh, I've got a, a Spartan Beast next Saturday, and then I've got another Ragnar up in Napa. You should join our Napa, or like Ragnar. I just team. heard there's a, a half marathon in um, Ventura this weekend. There is. Sunday. So I might I might take off the next couple of days and go and try and Just do it. I think I might. I think I might because I was very disappointed in my time. Sean, you had a good now? time. Yeah. Sean, you had He's a good time. The, the oh yeah, you hit her with a tire. He didn't. He said he was one of the people that pulled it off. I pulled the tire off of Leah. So guys, we do those tire workouts in NoHo and like. We're doing the tires, and all of a sudden, Leah's there, and I hear this, ah! And I look over, and I just see, it's like a cartoon. I see a giant, like, 18-wheeler tire, and I see Leah's hand sticking out from the side of it. And like, I hear a, this, like Roadrunner? Yeah, like Roadrunner. It, like, it was like an Acme <laughs> tire. And I just hear this, help me! And, um, and we got the tire off of her. Paul, who helped me get the tire off, we were doing stairs this morning. And we were doing bear crawls down, and I hear like this stumble crash, and I look down, and he looks like a broken doll at the end of like this. That was in the middle of, of the Kickstarter, stairs. right? Was in the middle of Kickstarter. Yeah, and I kept saying, Leah, go to the hospital. Leah, go to the hospital. Go to the hospital. No, I don't think. Go to the hospital. Yeah. And this is it, this was for the Vox Populi yeah. Kickstarter. Yeah. What's going on with this documentary with the with the boat? The Sultana. The, the Sultana, Sultana, yeah. Because we pro posted some stuff on Geekscape. About Thank the you Sultana. for that. All thirty-eight people loved it. No, I'm kidding. Our geekscapes are starting in the thousands and thousands. We love posting about you guys, but um, no. The, what, what is that? What is it's the a Sultana? civil war documentary about the about a, a historical incident, a moment. The boat. There was a boat, a steamship called the Sultana, uh -huh. that sank uh, because of um, basically malfeasance and 
human corruption. Okay. It was overloaded by, it was supposed to have a few hundred people on it. It was overloaded by like 2,000 people. Holy crap, all those people died? People. Almost all of them died. And so you guys are like, basically... And the people weren't just people. They were prisoners of war who had just been released from these prisoner of war camps, 1840, They were going home? Yeah, they were going home. They were going That's home. That's awful. It's terrible. And this is like something you guys want to shed a light on? And My be like, friend Mark Marshall and his brother have been making the documentary for years, and they needed money to finish it, so we mm -hmm. helped them raise money to finish it. Why a documentary, not a, not like a fiction? Well, I think he would love to see it as a fiction as well. Right. Not a fiction, but a... Uh, not a, a fiction, a narrative. Narrative, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think he'd like that as well, but it really does lend itself towards... Documentary. It course. really does. And, you know, you don't, you don't have to spend that much money in order to capture it well and, you know... What about you in directing? <laughs> Come on, let's talk. Because you have a story. I'm from Austin, Texas. You have something that you were connected to for years, that Galveston hurricane. The Galveston, oh, yeah. The, the Galveston. Yeah. I mean, the biggest storm before Katrina, the biggest storm. I mean, it was probably bigger than Katrina. The hurricane well, that it's hit the, it's Austin, the single like biggest loss of human life in the United States in one incident. The Sultana was the biggest maritime disaster, losing 1,200 people or something. Mm -hmm. The Galveston lost over 6,000. That was like in what, 1902? 1900, September 8th, 1900. 1900. And that thing, because I, I used to go on trips with an ex-girlfriend down in Galveston when I was in high school, and when I read about that story, and I think there's murals and things that I'd read, and I was like, wow, this is a huge untold story. And off and on through the years, I keep hearing Galveston hurricane disaster movie, Sean Astin. And I hear yeah. those two things together. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> Where's it at? I, I failed to get it done. You, you, listen, failure I'm is a only failure. I'm no, a no, constant no, failure. Sean, I'm, Sean, a, Sean. I'm an epic failure. Sean, listen, again, you got, you got Frodo to chunk that damn ring in. Right, nah, Sam was not a failure. Or, yeah, Sam wasn't. Listen. I like to play success stories. Remember that time <laughs> that those football players lifted you up? Yeah. And like they paraded you around. Yeah. and like yeah. Vince Rudy Bonsall. was a success. Yeah, okay, well, remember that time you guys found that pirate ship? Yeah. And it was full of gold. Goonies and you, you were didn't, a success. You didn't have to move. Yeah. You remember yeah. that, right? Remember yeah. the time you got shot in the head in a convenience store? Oh, never mind. That was a failure. But like, the, the, you know, the vampires. That was an unmitigated. That was more like me. <laughs> that was closer Sean. to me. Closer to my real life. Sean, are the rights somewhere else? Like, what's going on with this guy? Uh, no, there? what happened was we, um, uh, Lynn and Jake Messenger had written a screenplay. They're Houston natives. Yeah. And uh, they approached me. Uh, well, they, as well as another guy, uh, approached me to direct it. I came on board and we did some work on the script. We then optioned the rights to Eric Larson's book called The Perfect Storm, Isaac, Isaac Storm. Right, Isaac, Isaac Storm. Storm, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we had both of those, and then we were starting to raise money for it. It was hard because it's a huge movie, and I hadn't right. directed a feature and yet. And it's water. And then it's water, yeah. yeah. God, I had ways I wanted to do the, that sort of stuff. But right. um, Puppets. Puppets. Sort of. You keep it cheap. Sort of, and I'll build a build yeah. a house like a miniature, and then on a in a tank, and then you yeah. can lower it down and so forth. Oh things. my god! <laughs> They're all pointing like off camera and with wind noises. And if you knew the horrible way these people died. The, uh, <laughs> oh no! What have I done? It's so bad. I'm so sorry, Sean. So I'm bad. So sorry. But then I went to go do uh, Lord of the Rings, and I and I kind of took my eyes off the ball for a little bit, mm -hmm. and um, and that was it. It just it just seemed it just didn't happen. Jake's one of your backers? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we got to re-up this project. Um, so Lord of the Rings, like, did that just take over your life for a decade? Basically. I mean, but there's no regrets with Lord of the Rings because no, it's fucking no Lord of the Rings. Yeah, no regrets. Like, 
you, were you how familiar? I mean, as geeks, how familiar were you with Peter Jackson before Lord of the Rings? I knew my dad had worked for Peter Jackson on The Frighteners. He played the judge serious? in The Frighteners, so I had seen uh, Heavenly Creatures and I had seen The Frighteners, uh -huh. and I and I understood the. What about Meet man. the Feebles? <laughs> I saw that when we got down there. Uh -huh. That was fun because we screened that with Peter. And once you got down there and you watched Meet the Feebles, were mm -hmm. you like, and return ticket? Is it, was that the real story by, with Viggo Well, the Mortis? bad thing was that, that why I... Viggo Mortensen took over that role? Is because what's-his-name saw the... the saw, saw, saw Meet the Feebles? Meet the Feebles. Yeah, there like, definitely oh, was yeah. a moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I thought this was like... Uh, but I also had just seen the Ralph Bakshi version. Yes. Which, of the Hobbits yeah. acting like... like two of them or three of them, yeah. Yeah, but they're like, oh, man, the Frodo, they're crying in ways that it, it was just really unappealing. Let's be clear. I was scared. Sam both says, Frodo, and cries in your version. Did you not cry but in your much version? much cooler. No comment. <laughs> okay. I'm not asking you. I'm telling now, you. You know who cried? And, and let me tell you, uh, I remember seeing that first Lord of the Rings. Uh, I was... I was at school at Columbia, and, and, and I remember seeing it in, in a Philly theater because I came down to visit a girl I was dating in Philly. And my God, I had such an emotional response to the end of that first movie. Mm -hmm. Because as a kid, and, and I think I've written about it on the site, that how important The Hobbit was to me as a kid. It, I literally was handed that book in the fourth grade as my, my mom was packing me into a Subaru to drive to Guadalajara to visit grandparents, and my parents had just divorced. And my dad took this book and was like, hey, I want to give you this book. You can read it on the, on the drive down. And that's how I read The Hobbit. And that's why it's my favorite book. Because I was in fourth grade and my parents had just divorced. And the entire world just felt like it was falling apart. And, there was, and then there's this little creature, this little guy. And he's more powerful than the trolls, than the eagles, mm -hmm. than the goblins, than the hobbits that got perverted by a ring and then were doing riddles in the dark. Like, in a giant dragon. And it was so important to me. And, of course, it led into Lord of the Rings that... I mean, I think, I think it's geeks. I think as people who listen to this show, there's that early, early exposure to something that's so um, emotionally profound, yet not human, not of, earth, of this earth, but it, it, but it puts everything into context. Does that make sense? That mm -hmm. was the book that put everything into context. I think Tolkien so I cried with you. does that. I'm glad. Yeah. I can feel it. <laughs> I think Tolkien does that where he almost self-consciously says, I'm going to invite you into this world. There was a hobbit hole, and what, not a mm -hmm. dirty, wet rug. It just has this feeling of a children's story that if it carried on exactly how it started, mm -hmm. you would lo you'd lose interest in it because it's so simple. But then somehow you're invited into this world that you're aware of, and then the world exceeds your expectations right it continues to reinforce the idea that you're in a world and it's a world that's interesting and good and you have a space in this world so when you put the book down you can almost look at your you know you were in the car on the way to Guadalajara you can almost look out the window you can see things and then you can go back to this book and it's almost just when your eyes hit the page the world surrounds you again mm -hmm. it's very hard for a book to do that a lot of books you know you you really have to kind of focus on or them, them on the, you're thinking about, listen to them on the bike with Ron right, Perlman's exactly. voice yeah exactly exactly like what, what moment was, was that was... for you like like as a kid or like whatever like what moment was that where you were probably Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that was the one where you were like I'm going to hold right. your hand I'm going to lead you into things to show you the power of self or show yeah. you how important I you are so. to the greater scheme of things I think so I was Charlie 
I mean, how many people don't vote or don't do that? The, the, I mean, the thing you're really driving with Vox Populi is the education, right? Why you want to be a teacher, why you want to up engagement. Um, how many people are lost at that stage because the power of narrative is, is gone to them? They don't have the, they don't have the ability to, to, to be told, you play an important part in the bigger fabric. You can play a bigger part in the important fabric, but you just have to walk out your door. And how much is like things like negative ad campaigns, where the voices all sound the same, right. and they're all negative, and they, they keep you away from the polls? Like how much of that uh, when misinformation? When I was in fourth grade, yeah. uh, this weird social experiment called busing happened. Okay. Where You clean tables? Ah, uh, you'd like <laughs> Kids from Compton and South Central okay. were bused to the west side. And because, you know, try and sure, create sure. a melting pot. Where'd you go to school? I was in, uh, it was called Bellagio Road. Okay. It was up Bel Air. Okay. okay. Um, and when the door opened in the morning, these kids piled off the bus after having been on the bus for like an hour and a half. Sure. So having to get up. At, in the dark. In the dark. Yeah, they're, they're at yeah, 5.30. And, and you could tell it was almost all very lower income families and the, the, the kind of violent and kind of the, the, what's a good word for it? It was chaos. It was chaos. Okay. It was suppressive chaos, oppressive chaos. Right. Uh, that, that people were, that they were experiencing with each other on the bus. And, uh, and, and, I just remember thinking, you know, how, you know, how can you function like that? Mm -hmm. And the idea that somebody on that bus would sit and read The Hobbit, have the the ability, the presence There's of no mind. To, uh, well, maybe it was. There's certain people who are very impressive who found a way to do that. Or they get right. off the bus and instead of, you know, fighting with each other and going over to argue about this, they go in a corner and they read something. But they're the exception as opposed to the rule. I remember so, having my drawings torn up on the bus home. Oh, yeah. Like, just yeah. people being like, oh, Spider-Man, that's fucking, yeah. you know, yeah. torn yeah. up. Yeah. I, that the, you know, as a father of three daughters, when you watch, particularly in public school, my, my kids, my They've all been, they've all gone through public school. My oldest one has been in private high school. But um, you know bullying is happening. Mm -hmm. And you have to decide, like, where, you know. You where know, these kids live. You have to decide where these kids live, how to beat them up, how to find them maybe away from their hunt parents. Hunt them down and kill them. Hunt them down. Yeah. Uh, you get their Facebook. You hack their Facebook. And then you get their face. You peel their face yeah. off. You wear no, them but as you, a, but my point is like, just what do you do? So I, I think the fact that. As a society, we don't work well enough together. I think it's a lot better than it used to be. And I think it improves all the time. And I think there are conscientious, thoughtful people everywhere. But, but I think it, you, when you ask, the question was when do you lose people? I think you lose them when uh, there isn't, if you've got 32 kids in a classroom, yeah. it's very hard to, and parents who are, two parents who are working hard. And I'm like, when I get home from doing a convention, I'm exhausted for 36 hours. Fucking nerds. I got, it's, the nerds are taking you nerds from the are, future. They're, 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 they're hurting my relationship with my children. No, Don't but, get an but, autograph. But that time. idea that, that you, they're tired. Like when people need attention, people need focus, people need to communicate, they need to practice communication, they need to practice reading and learning. And if you just throw expectation at them but you don't really give them the support that they need, it's very, very hard. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I, I'm actually pretty optimistic about, I think the democratization of, of 
language and ideas that's come with the internet is is really really powerful and i don't think we're fully you know kids copy and paste other people's reports and they don't really think a lot sometimes but then when they do want to know something they know right to where to go to get it right. so i think i think it's going to be very uh like the chinese proverb says interesting time as a teacher i teach film and as a teacher whenever there's a paper due i can always tell the cheaters because all of a sudden they're uh, ability to verbalize and actually put their ideas into context get better. So I just like copy and paste a piece of their paper and Google, just put it in the Google bar. So like fact checking like cheaters has never been easier <laughs> right. because you just literally you know transcribe part well, of the have, paper there's, into there's it. There's pr programs that do that. Yeah, and you just put it in there, and it's like, are you kidding me? I'm sorry, but you just failed this paper. <laughs> you know, I'm a bit of a pushover, so I let them do the paper again for less credit, but. Um, it, you know, wow. it, I'm always gauging that. At what point do you lose them and they never learn again? You know, but these are right. these That's are college right. kids. These are college kids. Where do you teach? Um, I used to teach at your film academy, AI. I, I, I tutored high school kids. But at like, what point do you lose them? At what, at what point do you are you a cheerleader and a bit of a doormat? And at what point um, do you just um, well, you're really give a judge like, and jury, oh. aren't you? It, I mean, it, it's tough. And when I think about you as a teacher, I think you'd be a great teacher because you see the plus and minuses in people, you know, and, and you have to see the positive in people. Someone who doesn't show up and, doesn't, and isn't putting in the work, I'd like to think there's something more going on there than just they got bad DNA and it's not in their system. I don't believe in that. I, I, I believe that we're products, more well, products of our environment. Well, the question is, regardless of that, like are people redeemable within that context? Right. You know, if you, if you feel like you're being taken advantage of, then is it, is it punitive? I almost feel like you should I mean, have everybody. I do, I, I do fail people. Yeah. But I say, when you come back to this class, because you have to redo the class, like I try and give them something. I try and put something in them that makes them want to keep their head up when they have to literally do the class again the entire quarter the entire semester they have to come back mm -hmm. and i try and put something in them so that they don't feel like a failure the second time around they'll feel that when the loans come in and they realize they're paying for the class twice but i try to make them keep their heads up because I, you can't have them falling that like you can't have them falling in the cracks well, that's a great ethos for a teacher to have well it's tough because in college it's you a go very home rare thing. well i'm like how did you get here you did this through high school? You did this through middle school? Yeah, I mean, it makes me think about the quality of middle school and high school when at college they're coming to me and the grammar's out of whack. Uh, I mean, this is all, I mean, it's tough. And I'm sitting here, I mean, it really depresses me to the point where I'm like, why don't I just go back to writing and making little movies? Like, why don't I just go back to this? Like, why am I putting this in for, you know, I mean, a part of me loves it. Who does your syllabus? You do your own syllabus? I do my own syllabus, yeah. You know? And I mean, I try and show them things that they're not so, you know, they don't necessarily always see, you know? So, I don't know. I, I mean, it's tough. You Te think in a film class, tough. people would want to, that's one of the subjects where I would think you wouldn't have that as much because but people really want to be there. But, but Sean, really Sean you know there have been times in careers when you look up and, and there are people coasting on set. There are directors who didn't do the work. There's times when you sat yourself frustrated on a set and be like, shit, I signed myself up to work on this movie for X amount of time and these people aren't bringing their game face and they're collecting a paycheck and this isn't just a paycheck to me. I don't think that you're the kind of person who's just collecting a paycheck. You know? might be getting there now. Well, I'll let you know. Well, well, Keep your eyes on it. Right, right, right. Keep your eyes peeled. But, but, but you know what I mean, Sean? Like, like, like how frustrating that you, that you put time away from your parents or, or your kids, maybe your, your parents at one point, your kids, and you sit on a set and people aren't stepping up. You've had that time. Somebody just gave a review where they said that I look like the only person in the show that 
showed up to work. Was it a review of the strain? No. Because the strain is pretty badass. The strain is badass. But Guillermo, when you, when you do something with guys like Guillermo, you have to, everybody shows up. Because he's fucking on all the time. That guy, that guy's weird. Like, he, I, I love him. And we've had him uh, interviewed on the show at times. And, and he's always on. He's always thinking of things. He's always looking at little nicks and crannies of, the, of, of either the frame or the story or the performances and being like, where can I fill that with interesting? Good or bad, interesting. He said one of the greatest things that I've ever heard a director say uh, is about uh, endings, which is like the third act is always the hardest thing to do. And people always say, oh, problems with the third act or problems with the first act. But really, ultimately, it's like, okay, well, the lights are about to come off. Come on, how do you want to leave the audience? And he said, a movie can have two endings. A happy ending and a satisfying ending. It has to have a satisfying ending. It doesn't have to have a happy ending. And I heard that and I was like, mm. that more than anything said, movies can be whatever the hell you want them to be. Just make sure when those lights come on, you've led them by the hand from minute one to minute 60, 80, 120, and he gets the, the need to fill every nick and cranny. So when you say that he's busy on set and like crazy, he's making sure that from minute one, Minute 60 on a TV show or minute 120 He's on a pretty film. happy all it's the time. I love one. it. Why wouldn't you be happy? Well, stress. It was a pretty, you know. I'm sure. It looked like it was probably a high stress, but he didn't wear it like stress. But he, he, um, I just like, I think he was happy that he had cast people who could understand him when he would speak in a complicated manner about something. Because of his accent? Not just his accent, but he would, he would go into detail. You're right. He would talk about, he would describe what he was thinking, or what he thought the character was thinking, or why this particular thing was there. And he enjoyed expounding on it, and we enjoyed listening to it. It didn't detach you. It didn't be like, all right, that's enough. We're going to go no, do my work No, because it was now. good. Yeah. I don't know that it ultimately, it just made it fun. Right. <laughs> it just made it fun. Yeah, you want to hang out with somebody who's actually thinking about it. Everything. Yeah, and you you know everybody talks about Guillermo as this great genius, and so you can't help it. But you meet him and you're looking for it. Right. You want to see where it is, and you don't have to wait too long until you see it. Mm -hmm. It's got to be a lot of pressure to be like that, or maybe it's good. Maybe if everybody looked at me like I was a genius, I could walk around throwing pearls out there. Like <laughs> you helped Sam throw the ring into Mordor. Mordor, yeah. Like people come up to me all the time and they want to uh, Frodo. They, people come up to me all the time <laughs> and want to me to hold the ring. Are you for real? Yeah, and I don't like, want to hold it. What's the weirdest thing, geeks, uh, us geeks, and I'll let these kids know to stop it. What is the, like the weirdest thing that fans do to, to you? The weirdest thing. Like, what's the weirdest fans... thing that's happened? Well, if it was really weird, it probably wouldn't be done by a lot of people. Yeah. So, like, what's the what's, we, the, what's the, one the, moment the, where you're like, that was too much? Too much. You're like, that was interesting and hopefully not repeatable. Uh. Well, there's a lot of different things. I'm just trying to think. You know, the um, let me just say first okay. that by and large, the fan interactions are pretty great. Okay, they're pretty simple. They're pretty straightforward. They, there's a, a rhythm to them. It's kind, it's kind of a familiar thing. But um, I don't know. I mean, pe people have a way of getting familiar with you, saying your name as though you mm. know each other. Or mm -hmm. talking about things, and now you know if you can get on the internet and you can learn almost anything about a person. So you can walk up and be like, "Hey, do you remember me? We worked into something or other." But there's there's a way that people do it where like, "Sean, how are you? Good, good, good. Yeah, we're gonna, 
remember what we said, the submarine's ready, and you're like, what? Or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're yeah. like, like there's just a way of, of trying to um, demystify the space that exists between somebody who's on the screen and somebody who's been watching the screen. Right. There's that. There's a little space there, and the comic cons are a fantastic way to like reach across and shake hands and take a picture and sign an autograph. But and, you need that space to exist, or else it's too much. It just does. It just, well, I, I just mean like there is a there's consciousness. You know, there's a yeah. if you're watching and taking something in, you're receiving, and if you're up there doing it, you're doing. So now, once that moment is over and the lights come on. What happens? Well, if you're walking down the street and you see each other at a deli or if you're at a Comic-Con or something like that, and some people have a way of like their own preoccupation or their own supposition or presupposition about what that space is supposed to mean, they want to like compensate for it by acting extra familiar, mm. extra close, extra connected. And it's just funny sometimes the funny way- you're creepy. Both sometimes, right, right. both sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you, you listen, when you're walking on the street and somebody knows you from a movie or something like that, they can throw something at you from a movie from 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and if they say it in just the right way, you look at each other and it's like right on. You're both, it's like you're riding in the same direction on the escalator at the airport. And that's, like, good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And then there's other times where somebody kind of throws something out there and they'll, they'll do it and it's like, oh, no, but we're not related in that way. Too actually. much. Too much. It's too much. <laughs> it's, it's a too little much. too much. It's yeah. not right. It's not I'm right. Like at this moment, I have to actually draw your attention to it being wrong because it's not good for you. <laughs> yeah. You can't be doing that, man. This is why, yeah. this is why girls right. don't talk it's to you. It's not going to do well. It's not going to hold. Yeah. It's not going to go well for you if you keep doing this. So, Sean, um, we'll wrap up, but I want to hear about the run, the, the running band that you have on your. Oh, uh, run third. Now, yeah. now, run third. I heard, I heard you uh, last year before the Disney race, like talking about run third, and it's a hashtag. She said it this time. Oh, what's her name? She said it. But we got there so late that Cl it was like. Cl 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 yeah, we yeah. were late. We were pretty late. I saw you. I was like, I saw you in I'm the dark. famous. Can you get out of the way? I, I need saw to go you, to the. I saw you in the dark past me on the way to the bathrooms, and yeah. I was like, I just shot you. Oh, <laughs> let him go. <laughs> let him go. I was men on a run. Because uh, I thought I was supposed to go up on the stage. But oh. anyhow, they didn't want me on the stage. But I need to get in the beginning of the corral so that I didn't have to jockey for space. Right. I'm just kidding. It's totally like against runner etiquette to not be where you're supposed to be well yeah you need the corrals the disney races the big races guys you want like corral a or b because everything else is like so hard it's just like a, like well past, it's weird it's because it starts everybody kind of walks to the start line mm -hmm. and then it sort of start the, the accordion starts to unfold yeah. and but it usually if you start in b or c or beyond it, it takes you a good mile to get into open running where you're not right. stepping on people or stepping around them or whatever but the interesting thing is when you start that far back once you get eight, nine, ten miles in, you're passing people. That feels good. You're just blown yeah. by them. Yeah, and there's something psychologically, re you know. Yeah, you motherfucker shouldn't have been in A. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just, there's a sensation of body goes past you this way. But as opposed to when you start like I did in the, you know, because I was there with Run Disney at the right. organization. I stood like right at the front of the start line. My clock time Met, you know, the, my watch matched the clock time, which is not usually what it is. Usually, your watch is four minutes or twelve minutes slower than the clock time. But anyhow, uh, you then spend two hours with people blowing your doors off. And right, right. It does get a little demoralizing. <laughs> it's like, well, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have started. But yeah, basically, this thing was a, a Twitter campaign that I came up with called Run Third R U N Three R D, and the idea is basically I run first for myself. Running is very selfish sport 
uh, activity. It's time for me to clear my head and and be alone with my thoughts and the natural world and like I'm n my wife and children. I'm just all by myself. There's no phone. No it's phone. Just music. No oh, you can't actually have brothers. your phone with you if you need it. But but I turn it but, off because yeah. I don't want people reaching me on my runs. Like I, I just I just do an iPod. Like if I go out in like Angeles and I'm running a trail and yeah. like a mountain lion eats me, yeah. they won't find me for days. No. Because I don't have any of my shit. I'm trying on to me. think of if that was related to the music you were listening to. No. Well, <laughs> well, when I was training for Catalina, uh -huh. like the Catalina. Was that great? The there's a 50 mile or something, right? I'm not doing that. The Catalina Marathon was a beast. Because it's five thousand, it's you go up to five thousand feet on a mountain, down yeah. to zero. When, what time of year is it? There's a November and there's a March. I did the November, and I would recommend the November. Sure. But, but it's, but it's six on the top hardest marathons in the well, world. Well, my new goal is it really? It is. I was laying on the ferry back to Long Beach, googling the Catalina Marathon because I was like, what the fuck did I just do? Yeah. And it took me. What was an, your time? It, it took me an hour longer than a normal marathon. Four thirty. I, I can do a no. I can do a marathon in a little under four hours. <sighs> But dream. But I can. But that one took me. It only. I mean, it took me. I was like at five ten, five fifteen. I was yeah. like, holy shit! Because yeah. you're hiking it. Yeah, you're you're it's, walking a little. It's zero to five thousand feet back down to the beach. Zero to five thousand feet. I know Catalina feet, pretty well. I mean, I know you're beach. looking at wild. Boars. But that's why I did it because I wanted to see buffalo. I wanted to see cool shit. Yeah. And I was laying on the on the the ferry and I was like, what the fuck did I just do? Yeah. And the only one that's harder than Catalina I want to do and you should do it with me, Great Wall of China. I would love to do that one. I think we do. Except it. there's a lot of stairs involved with that. It's nothing but. Nothing but stairs. I don't yeah. care if it takes us seven hours, Sean. It's the way great. Well, way here's to my see. new thing. Here's my new thing. Yeah. yeah. I want to do the 50, yeah. 50 states and seven continents. Wow. There's some cold ass continents, man. That's yeah. what's keeping me. From. You can fly. Apparently, you can fly to Antarctica. Yeah. Run in a marathon. Like you get off the yeah. plane, run it's on the list. out and back. Yeah, and then you go right back to Brazil or something, and then you do it in Brazil. So you get two of your continents in a week. Well, let's do that one. I want to do that one. I'm going to do that. All right, so, uh, but I got to get a little quicker to keep up with you. No, no, I'll slow down. Slow down, okay. You're tall, it's hard. We're like Timon and Pumbaa. <laughs> <laughs> you tell Disney that. Uh, tell Disney that we're Timon yeah, and Pumbaa. Timon and Pumbaa, and then, you know. I maybe, might do some more Maybe I'll get Corral A every time. The, so, run third. I run first for myself, I run second for my wife and children, and I run third for you. Mm -hmm. And the you is for humanity, basically, sure, you know, sure. for. So people will, and then I, I wear run third, hashtag run third on my body. Like I'll do write, a, an ink write it in yeah. ink or I'll yeah. put a hat or these, this bracelet or something. No tattoo? And then I want it. My wife and kids haven't given me permission yet. I okay. want it really badly. But um, Put it on your ankles. That's what I want. Yeah, if you put it on your ankle. Yeah, it's like a running thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I got it. That's what I want. I'm going to tell my wife you said so. They are adamant the against it. It's fine. You my wife said I could sock. do it if I got their names tattooed bigger on my body somewhere else. <laughs> my brother was a WWE wrestler, so he's on TV every week. Yeah. And he wanted a tattoo, and I said, get them on your ankles because your boots go over them. And so nice. he got it on an ankle. And I thought you were going to say he could force my wife to let me have a tattoo. No, no, no. Well, he can't. <laughs> well, we wouldn't call it. You know. So uh, so basically, if you said run third for my brother who doesn't know how to get a tattoo, or run third for... <laughs> sure. Um, you know, run third for Leah, who got hit in the head with a sick, right? And like, or my dad, who's got Alzheimer's, or my son, who's autistic, or you know, my cousin who just committed suicide, or you know, my second cup of coffee, or you know, for a great sunset, or something like that. The idea is that I'm running on behalf of all the people who make those dedications and all the dedic, you know, the people that they're, they're making the dedications for. So. It's just, and then I'm not the only one. If you wear Run Third, you're running on behalf of all those. So if you go to hashtag Run Third and you read through the strand, it reads like this living prayer chain of all mm -hmm. these. Because I just didn't know, like, you know, money is really important, particularly for raising, you know, for causes that you believe in, you know, bullying. And, but I, I just am not that, 
I don't know, it's just a lot harder to put together events to raise money. This is a way of saying, hey, I'm going to prompt you to think about other people for a minute. And then mm -hmm. I'm going to remind myself to think about other people all the time. So that's... And running is the only thing that keeps me together. Like, yeah. even at Comic-Con, I'll... Yeah, I'll your like brain go, would... I can't imagine you I, getting fat and whatever. You know, at Comic-Con, I, like, people are like, well, what'd you do? And I was like, I woke, I woke up at 6 a.m. this morning and ran. And they're like, before Comic-Con? It's fatiguing yeah. as Comic-Con is. But if I don't... No, I no, it's energizes you, actually. I can't, I can't you, deal with the people. Yeah. I, well, I love people. I love being social. But there's too much, and if you Coronado, don't have, though, that run up that hour, that's a great run. If you don't have an hour by yourself, mm -hmm. then you're gonna like come. It's gonna compound all the crazy. You look like a runner. Apart. You've got like you look like a hood ornament. Well, I, th I mean, you. I mean, <laughs> you're in the valley. I'm in the valley. We should just run. I'll take you to my court. You know what I call my track? Sean's house. Ugh, my, <laughs> we live in Calabasas, so there's right. a lot of hills right around where we are. But oh. uh, but no, if you, from Valley Circle, mm -hmm. you know Valley Circle. Yeah. To I did Mount Baldy. I ran the uh, Mount Baldy half marathon. Uh, That's way that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. we're going. But, but, but we'll, we'll talk about it. I mean, yeah. let's wrap up. But, but basically up to, um, to Woodlake. Yes. You know where Woodlake is? I know. Yeah, yeah. I know where Valley Circle is because I, I, I stop sometimes at that island and eat a burger. Yeah. Yeah. I know where you live. Okay. But the other side of the freeway, yes. Yes. there's a street called Woodlake that runs, it runs like four miles. But it's all tree-lined, beautiful. And then if you kind of go back and forth between Valley Circle and Fallbrook and mm -hmm. up Woodlake, that area, I can do 10, 12 miles, barely stop. Like, perfect, beautiful, quiet, tree-lined streets. You probably don't see a lot of people. Don't see a lot of people. Don't see a lot of traffic. It's gorgeous. It's a really, I call it my track. We might set that in, in the calendar. Uh, Geeks gave us, say thank you to Sean. Like, like, I wanted to talk to him for 15 minutes. The guy stayed with us for almost an hour. And he gave us a great episode. We talked about a ton of stuff. And the way, best way to do it is by listening to Vox Populate. That's a great way to support Sean. And also his upcoming uh, gubernatorial campaign that'll come up. Congressional, congressional campaign. campaign. Com I got you, congressional Jeez. campaign. Sorry, governor's next. Lieutenant governor. Lieutenant governor. No, they actually have to think. <laughs> so, guys, watch Vox Populate on T Radio V. And also, we post about Sean's Kickstarters on the site. You guys should donate to these things. When the Sultana comes out, definitely watch it. And um, guys, watch the strain for God's sake. Like it, it, I, it's my favorite show. If on you TV came right in now. late to the interview, I die in the strain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sean, thanks for being on the show. Uh, anything else you want to? Uh, no, you're great. I, I, you know, we'll run. We'll definitely run. We gotta. I don't know where, but we'll find a time to run. I'd love to. Okay, man. Um, thanks, Geeks Gavis. We'll see you next time. Geek Scapists. <laughs> I like all of you except for the one, and you know who you are.